Yeah, what wonderful music that is to hear. Once again, reminded by the artist Jamie Slocum that God's grace changes everything. You might not know this, but that song was special to my wife Dawn, who passed away last August. And yesterday, uh, the day before I recorded this, was her birthday. And I took the day off to just reflect and remember and think about what she would be saying right now to not only me, but to others. As we are coming around the bend, we have been in the COVID-19 pandemic for one year, and our lives have changed, and not altogether for the worse. Uh, I think that there's been a renewed sense of community, uh, we are beginning to really think hard, I think many of us are, about what it means to live in community, to be able to consider the differences that people have, the different ways we think, and yet we still are called to gather around one great big table as brothers and sisters. And that may be difficult to do for some. Some, I think, uh, have gone to such an extreme with their religion that they've managed to exclude even the words of Jesus from their uh, daily dialogue. But we are trying to recover that. This is a, a podcast that has been now, uh, well, I guess we're on our one-year anniversary, but we are a podcast from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. I am Dr. Chuck McGathy. I'm not a medical doctor, but a, a man who has studied theology uh, to uh, as good of an extent as I can and uh, try to present the reasonable and accurate Word of God to you every week. We have um, this uh, week uh, a special message I want to share with you. Now, we have our live streaming broadcast on Rockingham County Radio. It's simple to find. In fact, the, that's your clue. Go to Simple Radio app or any of the radio apps on your cell phone. Download that app, and then once it's fully installed, uh, type in Rockingham County Radio. Tune in at 11 o'clock Eastern Time on Sunday morning. And remember, we have a time change Uh you're probably already aware of that. But uh, anyway, uh, that would be when you might be able to hear that live. You can also go to the uh, website. We have a new website address. It's very similar to the old address, but the website is much easier to navigate. And I think you'll, in time, become very uh, accustomed to it. Uh, its address is very simple, First Baptist Church of Madison.weebly.com. And uh, if you happen to go to the old address, which I'm not going to say, but if you happen to go to the old address, you will be redirected there for a period of about a month before that will be closed out. So you have the opportunity to go on that website, get connected to our Facebook uh, link. Uh, you can get connected to uh, find out how to receive the broadcast over the radio uh, live. You can also 
access the podcast. And so there's several ways that you can either live or recorded listen to the worship service every week and hopefully a life-changing and inspiring message, which is what I try to provide for you every week. Now, in the live broadcast in the Facebook uh, and Facebook recorded, you're going to hear the choir, uh, which has been pre-recorded. You're going to hear the music, live music from Sylvia and Jane. Uh, you're going to hear the Bible study teaching. Mostly, it's from the associate pastors, uh, Reverend Jan Walsh and Reverend Marsha McQueen. But uh, some weeks, I actually. Uh, we'll do that. So uh, the weeks that I do that, that will be also an included part of the podcast. But because of some of the technical aspects of it, I will uh, only be doing the uh, parts that I do on the podcast. So today I'll be sharing with you uh, the message that I have for you. And uh, I entitled it J316. I think I was thinking about vaccines, you know, and uh, we got COVID-19 and B117. I wanted to lay out J316. It it refers to John 316. Well, let me share with you this bit of thought today. Uh, My family and I took a drive to the state capitol, which is Raleigh, uh, about a dozen years ago. We needed some time together and decided that a rainy Saturday was just right to load up the Suzuki, what a terrible car that was, and head off to the museums in Raleigh. On the way there, Dawn flipped through a magazine noting some interesting things she was reading as we drove along. Although the magazine contained many good and I'm sure worthwhile articles, it wasn't until She read one particular sentence that I became interested and engaged. I'll share that sentence with you in a few moments, but for now, I'd like to focus upon another sentence that you most likely already know. We find it in the conversation that took place one dark night between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. The entire passage is found in John 3, 14 through 21, if you want to look it up in your own Bible. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, once commented on this passage in general and specifically regarding verse 16. He called it the gospel in miniature. 
It is in affirmation of the power of this single sentence penned by the Apostle John that Christian children the world over are taught this verse. I would guess that most of you can recite it by heart. You will find this verse translated into multiple languages at the front of Gideon Bibles. There is not one single evangelistic presentation I know of that doesn't include John 3.16. You will even from time to time at sporting events or other mass gatherings notice that someone in the audience will hold aloft a poster with nothing more than John 3.16 boldly written upon it. And today, as a preacher, I'm certainly aware that many of you have heard this passage expounded on from the pulpit so many times that you are fully prepared to come up here and do my job for me this morning. That is good, because we need to know this passage well and share its meaning with others. I first heard John 3.16 in Sunday school class. It was my mother who helped me memorize it word by word. Not only that, but she helped me learn it. I mean, what it meant for me. I had a pet turtle in those days. One day when I came home from school, I discovered that my turtle had died. I pushed it with my finger, but it was rigid, unmoving. Suddenly, I was face to face with death, and for the first time in my life, death had become something real to me. Though I appealed to Mama for answers, for something she might say or do to make it all better, somehow I knew her powers were limited, the turtle was dead. The death of that pet turtle began a process of thought that eventually led me to face my own death for the first time. The saying, the moment we begin to love life, we begin to fear death, was certainly true in my case. The turtle taught me to fear death, but John 3.16 was right there to teach me a word about eternal life from God. It was in those words that I discovered the hope of glory, the proposition that God has provided a way through the dread of darkness. He has the key to eternal life, and his name is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have the everlasting life. That's how the King James Version puts it. This marvelous verse of the Bible that has changed more people from wandering souls to children of God than perhaps any other is set in a remarkable scriptural context. Allow me to review the facts. A prominent man, a religious man named Nicodemus, had come at night to meet with Jesus. If you know anything about the Gospels, you will know that there was much tension between the people of Nicodemus' class, the righteous Pharisees, and the itinerant preacher from Nazareth. As it is presented in the four Gospel accounts, the religious watchdogs of which Nicodemus was a part wanted to see Jesus silenced and his influence among the common folk ended. 
Yet nothing the Pharisees tried seemed to work. Again and again, they tried to get Jesus to bring him down and end his popularity with the people. Open debate, challenging his orthodoxy and even attributing his miracles to the devil had all backfired on the Pharisees. Frustrated, the Pharisees grew more desperate, more extreme. Quietly, in the dark halls of religious power, they mulled over sinister plots to get rid of this troublemaker who was challenging their established order. So you can imagine why Nicodemus felt it best to see Jesus under the cover of darkness. Not only would his associates disapprove, but they would also have, he feared, turned on him like a pack of hungry wolves. Therefore, in a moment of both courage and self-interest, Nicodemus goes in the concealment of night to visit with the man named Jesus. Nicodemus believed that the resurrection, eternal life, was real. He believed, but he still wondered. Was it a loss in his own life that prompted him to go to Jesus that warm Jerusalem night? Had his grief eaten away at his soul and left only his exposed bones to the icy winds of death? There must have been something strong, something wrong, something he longed to resolve that made him turn to a radical rabbi to find his answers. Could Jesus, Nicodemus wondered, offer more than a religious theory? Could he offer hope? Nicodemus begins by confessing his curiosity about the man from Nazareth. Jesus then introduces Nicodemus and subsequently all of humanity to the term born again. Born again was not meant to become trite, cliche, or a code word for bona fide believers. Rather, Jesus was teaching this Jewish religious leader a spiritual truth he hadn't quite figured out. The point of the metaphor of being born again is that God gives human beings a new start, a whole new life generated by grace. But he does not stop there. Jesus Continued the conversation. He compares his earthly ministry and its meaning to the ancient story of Moses lifting a bronze snake on top of a pole. It is a story found in the book of Numbers, which taken in isolation is an odd tale. Yet when seen as a foreshadowing of the crucifixion makes a connection of the unity of the biblical revelation. Thus Jesus connects two ideas. Two thoughts. First, you must be born again, and second, the way this is going to happen is through the crucifixion of Jesus. All of this leads to the most famous of all Bible sentences. But how well do we really know it? Is it possible that in the familiarity and commonness of John 3.16 that we have forgotten something especially important about this most marvelous sentence? I think that is not only possible, but likely that we have missed something fundamentally important. That thing, what we miss, is found in one word. And furthermore, if we will recover the one word and infuse its meaning into our understanding of John 3.16, it will change us. 
into the very ones Jesus spoke of who will see the kingdom of God. By now, you might be wondering what word, what forgotten word, to explain, I want to go back to how I started this message. And a single sentence Dawn read to me out of the magazine while we were driving through the rain on the way to Raleigh. Here it is. 1.1 billion, the estimated number of people worldwide with no access to clean drinking water. Of course, it could have been any number of other sentences about the seemingly countless human tragedies occurring around our planet. It could have been the words of the rock star Bono who asked us to understand the extent of the AIDS crisis in Africa. He reminded us then that the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia killed 150,000, but in Africa, that many died every month. And it's a completely avoidable catastrophe. 6,500 Africans are still dying every day of a preventable, treatable disease. For lack of drugs, we can buy at any drugstore. Then he added, this is not charity, it is about justice and equality. I wonder what Don might now say about the needless deaths that have occurred since the pandemic first struck our land. I wonder when I remember moments like this, when Don pointed out to me how the daily struggle of folks to find clean water for their children and our salvation are all related. The connection is found in the first six words. Those words, the words of perhaps the most powerful life-changing sentence ever to fall on human ears begin, For God so loved the world. Have you ever stopped to wonder how easy the word world is to leave out of that passage? In fact, it is in an attempt to emphasize the personal nature of salvation. Many preachers, I heard one just this week, uh, have rephrased that to say, for God so loved you or me so much that if you or me believe in him, then you and me will have everlasting life. Well, fine, if that is what helps you on your way to Christ, but that is not what the verse actually says. It says, for God so loved the world. And it was said that way to Nicodemus, who operated in a context of religious exclusionism that believed being a, quote, chosen nation, unquote, literally meant that God cared for none but them alone. What a revelation for old Nicodemus. What a revelation for us. Haven't we been fed a gospel that too often speaks of a personal relationship with Christ and fails to account for our relationship with the world in which we live? The thrust of this passage is all about inclusion. It is all about everyone. It beckons to everyone, the entire world, to find the life that never ends. We cannot read it and believe what it says and then read a statement about the lack of water or drugs or food and not be moved. Part of our salvation henceforth and forevermore is about all the ones that love that Jesus loves. If we will know his love, we must share his love. If we will know his salvation, then we must be involved in the salvation of others. That's what I think he meant when Jesus told his night visitor what he must do if he would see God's kingdom come to pass. When we get held by this kind of salvation, 
When we start to understand the meaning of for God so loved the world, our perceptions, our love for the world will change. Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber caught the spirit of this when he wrote that incredible song I love called Love Changes Everything. It goes like this. Love, love changes everything. Hands and faces, earth and sky. Love, love changes everything. How you live and how you die. Yes, love changes everything. Live or perish in its name. Love will never, ever let you be the same. The love of Christ will never, ever let you be the same. Once you get the meaning of that, there is no more fear of death and darkness. A long, long time ago in a ministry far, far away, I knew a woman who came to church every Sunday. Rain or shine, she came. She was always well-dressed and unruffled on the surface, but underneath it was a different picture. Few could ever have guessed or even noted the inner turmoil of her soul. Although she had heard the sentence countless times, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life, she could never conquer her personal doubts. It must have been something too terrible to utter in the sacred halls of a Baptist church. But still it aided her like a festering sore. Inside her soul, she struggled. Her life became a quest for peace, but like Don Quixote fighting windmill giants, her battle against doubt was futile. Even the preacher tried to help her by showing her verse after verse, urging her to have faith, but still her doubt remained. I am older now, and I realize that this story is not unusual at all. In fact, it's pretty common. I've also come to realize that in an ultimate sense, we cannot fully know the truth of John 3.16 until we physically leave this life behind. But I also realize something else, something I've been trying to say in the course of this message. John 3.16 is more than a message from God to me. It is a message for everyone. When I hear it, I cannot neglect my neighbor. If I believe it, I will be about the things that will bring about God's kingdom. And as I live out my salvation, as I share with others my resources, my time, my energy, so others will find the same Savior who compels me onward. Remember what I said years ago. You always find God at the intersection of a Christian and someone's need. For my friend of long ago, more than all of the scripture quotations, that kind of personal love would have helped her. Today, that helps me understand the meaning of this wonderful verse. Your love helps me have hope and to remember the love of God. And God's love will help you too. Find the intersection this week. Find the place where you too will meet God. The world is where we look. The world that God loves, that is where he will be. Let us pray. Lord in heaven, forgive us for complacency and fear. Give us new hearts full of life and courage to cross into the uncomfortable and unfamiliar of a needy world. Let us carry a message of hope and love. Help us look deeply into the eyes of the lost and lonely, the brutalized and the suffering, and offer salvation because in the reflection of those eyes, we will see your face. Amen. Remember the Lenten 
season service at noon on Wednesdays, we provide a link on our website. You can also go there to make a financial donation. You can also go there to find out other information about our church, and hopefully you will. Remember the name of the website, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. And if you want to write us, remember our address, P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina, 27025. Or by phone, call us at 336-548-6112. May God bless you and keep you.